Welcome to the Educated Hustle Podcast. This is your host, Paul Latibadera Jr. and my co-host, Emilio Porter. Before we jump in, we got to remind you guys, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please rate and review us. Uh, you know, you guys are loving the show. Uh, we wouldn't mind the uh, five-star rating that you can give us on iTunes. So once again, just that friendly plug before we start the show. Emilio, what's going on, man? Man, y'all better give us that five star. Don't be saying it like you hesitant. If you've been listening for this long, give it to us. If you're brand new, still give it to us, but at least know <laughs> that we told you to. <laughs> but I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. It's, it's great to be here. Black Friday just passed, and oh, man, I spent too much money. You know, always tell myself not to, but always, you know, just always, oh, man, I don't even want to think about my, my credit card bills coming up. But either way... It's happy. It's a good time. You know, got to be with my family. Uh, well, my, my new family was here because, you know, I, I spent uh, my time up in Indianapolis visiting my girlfriend's family. And we were uh, very, very honored to be up there. And she actually had a, a second baby shower. So all around good time. Good stuff. But what about you? What did you do up to co-host? Nothing much, man. Um, before I talk about me, I, I wanted to talk about this TV this man sent me. <laughs> Yo, this man sent me a picture of this, like, three-dimensional-looking TV. Never seen clearer quality than, than than that photo, bro. I had to I had to question what real life was after I saw that TV photo, bro. Hey man, I feel, I feel like I feel like I feel like what Grandma Thanksgiving where you got to be like mind your business, mind, mind your business. <laughs> no one got to put me out there. Like I said, Black Friday, you know, it was it was uh, a woo, yeah, but it's gone. So that's the best thing about it. I'm just I'm just glad it's gone. But I appreciate the love for the TV because I do love it myself too. <laughs> it's all good man but i'm here in um i'm here in south florida that's you know my hometown and uh you know spent time with the family the girlfriend friends uh you know it's always good to have a, a relaxing week after i spent you know two weeks in minnesota uh for work uh so it's always good to to wind down and uh you know spend time with the people you actually care about so um yeah, I had a great, great holiday, man. And uh, man, I, I, we got to give the people what they want, man. It's been a, it's been a, we never took a week off yet, man. So, you know, we got to give the, get back to giving the people what they want, bro. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I think this episode is a great, great, great return to form. We have the pleasure of bringing you guys Ishmael Brown. He is an author of this great, great novel that you have to read. It is called My Own Worst Enemy, A Black Man's American Story. And I really just feel that it's, 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 just, it's just so hard to talk about it because he, he hits the nail on the head on so many topics in this book. And even if you're not of African-American descent, like you can still learn so much from his, his portrayal and description because, you know, I, I think everyone has, you know, concepts in their mind of people. And, you know, no one likes to say it out loud, but I think we all do. And he really details from his own perspective just how he has to struggle and deal with certain things in life that we necessarily take for granted. You know, I, I speak for myself and maybe perhaps my close one. I say, you know, I, I, I'm very lucky to have a father figure and I I couldn't imagine my life without my father. But there's people who 
that's their life. They don't have a father. You know, that's one of the few things he breaks down is just the difference between both those mindsets and what it really does to affect people who have to go through those two different things. And, you know, once again, get ahead of myself, but Ishmael Brown's here and he's really going to like the show up. Yeah, man, it, it was amazing. Um, I think that I, the interview was so good. Like I had so much more questions, but there was, you know, you know, we got to we got to make sure our time constraints are within a certain certain value but yo he i just had so many questions to ask this man because this man spoke so eloquently about all the different subjects uh that he touches on in this book so um you know he definitely makes you want to go out and get it as soon as you hear him speak and um uh i think it's going to be a very inspirational interview for you guys and and uh you know it's going to be very exciting to to listen to this man speak because i hope he gets into that man that's another question i want to ask him man like is is he going to get into speaking because this dude is was on point with all his answers (laughs) you gotta put up the bat signal in the air hope he comes right no i mean yeah like mccall's and i have been saying this it was a great interview and we we are so proud to be able to give it to you and i think before we even get into we gotta say we, we back we back, like, I, <laughs> we, back, we back, I know last week, you know, Thanksgiving, I had to take that little break, but guess what, we back, and we still scoring, we still putting up 50 on them for no reason, and I think this interview's gonna keep the pace going, and I think me and my co-host done hyped it up enough, I think it's time for you guys to really sit there and let it digest, and unlike those leftovers from Thanksgiving, you are gonna clean up the whole, whole plate, so without further ado, let's get Mr. Ishmael Brown into the mix. All right, today's guest is Mr. Ishmael Brown. He's an author and intellectual. He's here to drop some knowledge on the hustlers today. Ishmael, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, guys. How y'all doing today? Doing great. Can't complain. Um, just trying to jump back into the game after the holiday weekend, you know? Listen, I'm still trying to digest food. My stomach's still hurting. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't help when you got leftovers for days. <laughs> right, right. But it does help financially. <laughs> True. Exactly. Save some money. But um, let's jump into why you're here. Uh, I understand you have a book out. Could you kind of tell the listeners what uh, the title of the book and a little bit of what it's about? So I just published my first book. It's titled My Own Worst Enemy, A Black Man's American Story. And it's primarily my navigation to manhood. Uh, it's overcoming the stereotypes that America said I'd be as a black male and just assuming ownership for the mistakes I made across a variety of relationships, whether it's family relationships or in my dating life. So it's a true transparent moment. It's an introspective look as to everything that I've been through, you know, shine the light on those darkest moments. And it's crazy, guys. It's like here I am in pages. Wow, that is crazy. I mean, that sounds like a, a compelling topic to even begin writing about. I know for us, um, being host of these podcasts, we've had a lot of people come through that written books or just even one day want to write a book. I guess, you know, this is the time for you to kind of like let the aspiring um, authors or people who have an idea out there know like, hey, what pushed you to actually get it done rather than say easily to yourself, you know what, I, I won't write a book. Ah, for me, it was it was easy because I grew up with this mindset of titanism, and that was basically I'm a man. I don't feel anything. I don't have any emotions, and whatever that I come across, I deal with by myself. And it came to a boiling point in 2011. I had just finished an exam on campus, and I was walking back to my car, and I just had like a emotional breakdown. 
and it just started crying. I was like, man, you know what? It's time for a change. I got to release some of these things. So I took it to a piece of paper. Nice, man. And I mean, I'm glad you got, you know, that emotional paying out onto paper. Um, Can you kind of talk about, you know, how it's been since you since you released the book and kind of what kind of praise you've gotten from your from your from your peers? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I actually released a book on October 28th. It was my 26th birthday. It was a gift to myself. Um, nice. Like I said, from now on, every year on my birthday, I want to do something to help others. I want to inspire, uplift, you know, pour into those behind me, around me, and even ahead of me, generation-wise. And that was my gift to the world. It's like, here I am. Um, so that's how it came about. And so it's been about roughly a month. And the praise has been truly humbling like the amount of sales the amount of uh, responses and people saying you know what i can relate to that and something that i was concerned about previously like it was very focused on you know black males the black community but there have been people from other walks of life and other nationalities that can relate to my story and it showed me that struggle transcends all of those barriers so that's what really humbled me i'm talking white people white females, Hispanics, um, Asian-Americans, like it has ranged drastically. Give it to them. I like that. Give to myself. See, we got to have standards there like that. So that's kind of cool. Your 26th birthday, you gave yourself your own written book. I like that a lot. And um, <laughs> just to kind of go off of what you said, to lead to a segue, you know, you had a lot, a lot of response that were very positive from a wide, diverse amount of people and the chapter one of your first book is called uh who is the enemy and you know not to not to spoil what the book's about because we definitely want you guys to to read it but i definitely think it, it kind of aligns with what you said that you have a lot of praise from you know especially white white people so kind of could you just segue how that chapter plays out and kind of compare it to the reality of you actually don't always know who your enemy is Right. Um, again, growing up as a black male, I can only speak from my perspective. And being in America it has not been easy for us as a as a people, to be completely honest. You know, there's the whole thing of white supremacy uh, coming from slave ship to combating Jim Crow laws to combating equality in the workplace and just fighting these stereotypes that I can be more than an athlete. I can be more than an entertainer. I can be an intellectual. I can be a great orator. I can be the president of the United States. So the chapter, who, who is the enemy, basically, it takes you on a historical journey. Um, but from my standpoint of going from me blaming white America for my problems, me blaming, blaming an absent father for my problems, and turning around and bringing it full circle to me, blaming myself for my issues and assuming that ownership. Because at a point in time, as an adult, you have to assume ownership for your mistakes. You can only blame people for, for so long. That's the only way you can grow until you start looking inward and stop pointing your finger. So that's the whole premise of that chapter. And it goes from historical standpoints of Ronald Reagan's uh, Reaganomics and how that hurt the community, the war on drugs, um, Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement, Dr. King, excuse me, uh, Malcolm X talks about Medgar Evers, uh, Stokely Carmichael. It gives a great historical standpoint of what it's like to be an African-American male in America. And um, that's 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 really powerful. And I, I wanted to take one piece from what you said Um, the historical knowledge that you have of, you know, the African-American. Uh, what is 
you know, maybe your favorite uh, person to, to study or, you know, your favorite time to study in uh, black history? Oh, man, it's a great question. <laughs> I would say the period of the 1960s, like the mid 1960s to the mid 1970s, because you have the rise of the Black Panthers. You have such young, inspired leaders like a Fred Hampton. And when you think about the Panthers and Hugh P. Newton, Bobby Seale, Eldridge Cleaver, they were young. Fred Hampton, especially, he was 21 years old. And he was sparking a revolution. And you, you think back even further than that, or you look at it from the standpoint of how did he reach the masses with only an outlet of a newspaper and a radio station? Nowadays, there are 15 different ways to communicate with the Internet, with social media. But people aren't saying anything of substance. So the fact that he had that great of an impact in it and an influence on people just as young as himself and even older, that spoke volumes to me. That made me look inward and say, hey, I'm 26. What am I doing with my life? And he became a martyr for the movement. Look it up, people. Look it up. He's giving you the blueprint. He's giving it to you. Now, I mean, I, this is a topic that's come up a lot, especially in media. And I want to I want to hear your take on it. And, it, you know, it, it kind of dies once again, once one things you read about in your book. Now, in the urban community. A lot of times, because of the, the you know, the hip-hop music we make, we're often uh, stereotyped in, okay, if you listen to hip-hop or rap, you got to be a quote-unquote Doug. And, you know, us knowing better, it, that's, not the, that's, not the, that's not the case. You know, um, I'm pretty sure all of us here enjoy hip-hop and, and we're, not, uh, we're not Doug. So I would love to, to hear, like, just kind of like, where you kind of believe that belief stems from and what do you do just on an everyday basis to kind of prove, you know what, that's that's not the the absolute. When it comes to hip hop and the premise of it and actually the um, beginning of hip hop, it was a way of bringing communities together. And it was also a way of mirroring our realities to the masses. So there was a common misconception of hip hop and rap music equated to a certain type of criminal lifestyle. And that wasn't the case at all. You look at the origins of hip hop, it actually stems from the disco era and the breakdown of the beat and how, you know, you remove all the instrumentation and you only have this drum pattern and they would loop it. DJs would loop it over and over and over and you have your MC. That's how it came about. He's rapping over this breakdown. And they were just talking about having a good time because it, it, it helped listeners escape from the realities of the of life, you know, of the heroin epidemic, soon the cocaine and crack epidemic. And it was just a way to free people from that. And it brought people together. So there is a common misunderstanding of the hip hop culture in general. If you look at it today. Hip hop is pop culture. Whatever black people stamp is cool. It's made cool by, you know, let's be honest about it, the majority of it. You look mm -hmm. at um, New York Fashion Week, you have these white and European models wearing do-rags and gold grills. Last I checked, that started in, in the black community. So and I think that, that also attests to us realizing just how powerful we are as a people. We are the cool. But if we don't acknowledge that, it's going to continue to be um, these culture vultures coming in and they're monetizing our culture. 
Yeah, which is which is crazy because you know I love hip hop in itself, and I can kind of see, you know, how we're losing the culture. You know, as each year goes on. I mean, you still got artists kind of putting out the culture. You know, like Kendrick, J Cole, uh, you know, all those guys doing it for for the. I, I guess, in my opinion, doing it for the you know the right reasons. Um, but then it kind of it's kind of getting watered down. Um, I don't know. Do you see, like, in your eyes, that that hip hop is going in the right direction, or do you feel like you know it's time for maybe something else to uh, spark a like a political movement or some some other form of art to show you know the black man's intellect uh, to come about? I think hip hop has grown by exponentially. It's grown leaps and bounds. That there's room for everyone. Because everyone isn't going to be in tune with what Kendrick's rapping about, in tune with what the Nasirs or the, the Jay-Zs, the Tupacs. Everyone's not going to be that lyrical or that politically driven. And, you know, there's also a space for your Lil Yachty's, your Uzi Vert's, 21 Savage that are rapping about different topics. It, it's about who you can touch in, in those respective audiences, you know? Exactly, exactly. And I, I think that's a very crucial point right there that you just you just nailed that a lot of people have to understand is like everyone has different audiences and I think one cool things well not cool things, but one thing that people always lose is um <clears throat> a lot of these rappers that are up and coming now that are brand new, when they were twelve years old, people like um Drake, um I'm trying to think who else, you know, people like Drake and Lil Wayne were like at the top. So for them, they view those guys as like they're Tupac and Biggie. I mean, it's not to say that, you know, they're on the level, but it's just to say that when you grow up and you, you're looking out who's out there doing it, that's who you're looking up to. And, you know, Tupac and Biggie, you know, goats. But not, hard to be in the eye when they're not really, they're not as strongly held by the new generation. You know, that's why you have these people coming in and, and saying, oh, you know, we're, we're, I'm better than them. Basically, off the strength of they feel that since they didn't grow up with them, they they don't have any association with them. So I mean, yeah, like you said, it, it, everyone tunes a different beat to their horn, and hip hop is catering to a lot more than just the crowd that they attended for. But I want to get into a, a, a definitely a more serious conversation or a more a serious discussion topic. Now, when you were in college, definitely during your first few years, you you, you dealt with something that isn't really talked about a lot. Um, and that's substance abuse. And you kind of had to battle your own demons to, to make sure that you can get over that hump. I would love if you could kind of discuss, you know, when did you realize that was an issue and how did you really um, how did you really get it within yourself to get over it and say, I got to do better? Um, I realized it was an issue when I started doing things behind the backs of my loved ones, like my mother, my sister, um, my college roommate at the time and I was like wow how hypocritical am I because growing up I always looked at my father differently for being an alcoholic and I looked at my grandfather differently for being that and here I am you know fast forward 10-15 years later I have an issue as well and it made me look at their issues on a wider scale because I thought they were doing it for enjoyment but in essence Relating it back to myself, I was doing this to hide the pain that I was going through because I felt as if there was no one to understand what I was going through. And I had the misconception that my problems were unique to self and they weren't. 
But again, dating back to that tightness of mindset of no one understands me. I have to deal with these problems alone. I can't receive a handout. It destroyed me mentally. And that was my way of coping with it. Well, I'm glad, you know, you were able to uh, get past it, move forward. Um, I also wanted to to, jo- to jump in and talk about, you know, you have a, t- a chapter called Dear Dad, I Failed You. Um, can you kind of talk about your relationship with your father and, and um, explain a little bit about how you feel that you failed him? Oh, yes, definitely. This actually was by far the hardest chapter to write for me. And it's one that I still cannot go and read today. <laughs> um, my father and I have a very, very interesting relationship, for lack of better terms. Him and I were best friends up until the point when my grandfather died when I was seven. And when my grandfather died, he, first off, he passed of uh, cirrhosis of the liver. Um, he drunk himself to death. He wasn't a violent drunk. He wasn't an angry drunk, but he was a drunk. And that addiction stemmed over into my father as well. So when I lost my grandfather, it's almost like I lost to both of them. They both died because my father's drinking got progressively worse. And being a seven-year-old, all I could see was, hey, why are you doing this, dad? This killed your father. It's a simple fix. Just stop doing it. And I saw it as him killing himself. But again, being so young and naive, that was I couldn't realize that was his way of coping with the loss of his father. Because my dad, he was only 27 when he lost his father. So there are so many more lessons and so many more problems that he was yet to, you know, come into that he needed guidance on them. And he no longer had his father figure to walk him through those things. Wow. And that's 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 beyond deep. And, you know, for my question, I, I think it's in the black community is such a prevalent thing. But, um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have my father in my life. But I know there's a lot of people who aren't fortunate to have theirs in their life. And just from your perspective, like, do you what do you think is the difference in just that that environment of actually having a father figure and not having one? Oh, man, that, that affects everything. And then to answer your previous question, I'm sorry that I got off of it, but I feel as if I failed my father because I did not communicate what I needed from him as a father. Because when he had me, he was only 20 years old. And think about where you were in life at 20 years old. Are you fully ready to be that adult and be that you know role model and that father figure? You're still trying to figure out life and still trying to figure yourself out. So I failed him in not being able to communicate, hey, I need this, this, and that from you. I need you to teach me how to, you know, honor the queenship of a woman, how to create generational wealth and things like that. But having not having a father or having a dissonance relationship with that father figure, it alters your upbringing, male and female. A woman tends to become promiscuous because she does not know how to love. And a male tends to rebel against his mother because he feels as if she can't teach him how to be a man. And that's no knock on single mothers, but there are certain things and lessons that a woman cannot give a young boy. He needs a male figure in his life. Man, this this is good stuff that you're preaching, man. I I hope that people people are hearing your gems and uh, going out to get your book, man. I'm just going to give out the title one more time. Uh, Ishmael Brown here with us. He's got a book, My Own Worst Enemy, 
a black man's American story. Uh, so we're kind of just dropping in, uh, giving a little bit of his book chapters. Um, and, you know, he's dropping gems about each topic. Uh, so the next topic he has here is a, a womanizer. So, you know, we kind of just discussed a little bit about, you know, how the uh, how your your father is supposed to, you know, kind of guide you through uh, the courtship of a woman. Um, so could you kind of go through that chapter a little bit and, and discuss uh, your struggles with uh, uh, that that time in your life? When you look at the black community and you look at our forms of entertainment, i.e. rap music, um, you know, even in the movies that we make. And I'm, I'm going to take a risk here. And a great majority of them, they <sighs> they don't put forth the effort to say women are queens. Right. And all of it is about being a womanizer. You think about the music we go over this to at the club and it's demeaning women, you know, garden tool, this female dog, this. And it's almost like we're saying as if it's their first name and being a young boy listening to that. I love the music. Oh, hip hop is my stuff, man. Um, you look at, um, I grew up on doggy style, the chronic 400 degrees and all of these albums just perpetuated that. And I looked around my peers, all of them promoted having excess of women at your disposal. So I'm getting it from my peers. I'm getting it from my close relatives that are males. And I'm hearing it in this music. So I grew up with the mindset of I thought that's what I was supposed to do. That made me a man, having a multitude of women. But that was also oh wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so wrong. And, and Minister Farrakhan said it best. The disrespect of a woman is an abomination before God. Women are the givers. <laughs> I love that. I really Yo, love man. Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish the gem up. But uh, women are the givers of life. Their womb is a blessing and a true miracle to be able to walk around for nine, nine or so months and to bless us with another human being. So why... Why would we go around disrespecting them, telling them when and where they can create a woman like Tupac said and keep your head up? Who are we to do that? Woo! Oh, man. Please bookmark that page in this podcast if you can, man. I, I feel like uh, Keen Ivory, Keen Ivory one, uh, Wayans and the Don't Be a Menace with the popping button over like, message. <laughs> message. <laughs> message. Yeah, that's a classic. That is a classic. So, um, so even with this chapter, it's just me discussing uh, two specific relationships that I went through um, in college and the impact that they had on me, those respective women and the mistakes that I made in those relationships. I never had, I never got the time or I never was man enough to tell them, hey, this is where I went wrong in our demise. So this is my way of doing so. Exactly, exactly. And I kind of want to just, you know, don't give away too much because I obviously want people to read the chapter. But I know I know women will, will, will be on their edge of the seat uh, for this next question. So I got to ask it just as a, as a shout out to them. But what finally made you realize, you know what? I'm I'm doing this. I'm doing my woman wrong. I'm, I have these uh, lying and cheating ways, and I I have to change. What 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 puts you over the edge? Because I think a lot of women they always feel like they themselves can change the man, but oh, I feel like no. your answer is going to be different than that. Oh no! See, and I think that's where it, not even women in general, but 
people as a whole, when you think you are in control or you have some type of um, magical power to help a person change, you are gravely mistaken. People are only going to change and evolve when they are ready to. You can't force them. They have to go through their own walking path through life. You don't know what that path is going to be or how long it's going to take for them to you know, reach that level of progression that you want to see from them. So it's, it's actually very selfish of an individual to think that they can change something. Oh, man. Oh, man. Hold on. I, I had to make sure that was that was the heat right there. <laughs> I had to make sure, you know, I didn't want to jump the gun. But yes, you hear that, people. The man himself got to change. You can't do it. Nah. I know they like to say a woman can change the man. Nah, Sometimes the man just got to be the man, yeah. right? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Um, I'll say this. Women, they have the power to influence but again, a man is going to revert to what he knows in that essence, and he's only going to progress when he is ready and when he is able to. Uh, for me, I went through a very difficult breakup, and at that point of being by myself, I was surrounded by mirrors. And I was able to look, and I couldn't run from it anymore, and I was able to look at all of the mistakes I made across a variety of relationships, not just with her specifically, but even the mistakes I made with my father and my mother and the relationship with my sister. I was like, yo, enough is enough. I, I'm tired and I'm done hurting people at the expense of my own duty. There was too much blood on my hands. And that's good that you're able to, to look within yourself um, to realize that you're doing, you know, making a mistake and being able to change that. Um, so, yeah, definitely commend you for that. And um, getting into your next chapter. I feel like you've been through it all, man. You, you know, you, you <laughs> we've gone through the life and it's been one after the, another of uh, hurdles that you got to overcome. But, right. you know, I'm you actually, out here. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so the next chapter is titled um, a master's in unemployment with a Ph.D. in depression. Uh, that's, you know, pretty self-explanatory in itself, but um, kind of, you know, a lot of uh, college graduates go through what you go, what you went through is, you know, you do all this hard work grinding for four or five, six, you know, sometimes even seven years. And <laughs> right. then, yeah, you out here, you know, with your degree, but you ain't got no money to pay these loans back. So, yeah, kind of kind of talk to us about your struggle with that. I think um, America as a whole does not do a great job of communicating that college does not equate to success. That is a major issue, and people assume that, oh, I got this degree, I can go out and pursue my dreams and do what I want. That is not the truth at all. That's a lie. Mm -hmm. That's a, it's extreme propaganda. It's on you to take that education, to take those relationships that you built in college, and go, you know, that, that those are keys to doors to your future. You have to go put in this work. You got to go. I think the biggest thing is building those relationships going to these networking events in undergrad, joining organizations, professional, social, join them all because you don't know who you're going to meet in college who's going to either A, be someone or they know someone that can help propel your uh, postgraduate career. When I was an undergrad, I, I held a great deal of leadership positions through my organization. I was a member of Alpha Phi Fraternity Incorporated and that was an organization that really changed my life and my outlook on my professionalism. And understanding that everything that I do is a part of my brand. So I accumulated these leadership roles. I traveled to different cities, different states, uh, public speaking, 
on civic engagement, educational reform, and um, just getting active in the community as um, as a people. And when it came time to graduate, it put such a pressure on me. And that's a reoccurring thing throughout the book that I put a lot of pressure on myself and very hard on myself. Um, I find myself chasing a false idea and perfectionism because it's something that doesn't exist, but I'm constantly striving for it. So it keeps me going. So I graduated and I don't have a job in my field. And I'm like, oh, crap, what do I do? And with all my friends, they're just expecting so much. Uh, my family members are expecting so much because I had put together this body of work that spoke volumes. So I'm partially embarrassed, to be honest. And that really did something to me mentally. It borderline defeated me. And it took me a whole year to get a job in my profession as a marketer. And there's also a misconception that marketing equals sales. No, it, it doesn't at all. And I'm had no intention of being a salesperson. Uh, I'm an ideas guy. I like to create. I like to see the inception of an idea turn to a reality. And when you're coming out of college, these employers are not trying to hear that. They're trying to start you at the bottom, pay you as, as less as they possibly can, and put all this work on your back and stress you the heck out. But a lesson that my mom gave me as a child was not to settle. My mother was a very strong woman very, very strong. And she worked at a job that she hated for 20 plus years. So seeing what it did to her even outside of work and hearing her lesson of son, don't settle, find something in your career, excuse me, find something that uh, in your field that you love and that you're going to be somewhat happy with every day, that motivated me to not just take anything. And that's why it took so long to get a job in my field. And that came along with, you know, me depleting my savings account, uh, couch surfing, uh, making poor decisions. And that all down spiraled into my depression. I stopped going home and me and my mother talk frequently. <laughs> People joking me, I'm a mama's boy. That's cool. I love my mama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm cool with that because I just know what she's done for me and the relationship that we have. So uh, I wouldn't call her. And I just started avoiding people and I became very isolated and very alone. And in that isolation, those demons just whispered to me. And those whispers grew into screams and yells. And I, there was just nothing I could do. The depression was fast. Woo! There it is. There it is. There it is. No babies around here, thought about the earlier one. But there it is. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there's so much you could just take from what you just said. And I, I, I was especially relating because I, I also graduated with a degree in marketing. So I know exactly how you feel where everything, especially in Orlando, is just sales oriented. and yeah. you, you just don't want no part of it. Right. You know, it's like, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> and then, you know, the jobs that aren't that, they're like, hey, you got to be working for at least five years. But it's like, you know, there's no jobs that's giving out experience for anyone like that. Exactly. So. I, I, I'm glad that, you, you know, you speak on it. I, I always try and tell people, especially in college now, where it's like, you know, when you graduate, it's going to be a joyous time. But you got to realize that what you kind of learned in school, you're probably more than likely majority of it. It's not going to apply to you outside because it's a whole different ballgame in the real world. And the bills are coming at you fast. The loans are coming at you right, fast. Right. And, you know, but there is hope. That's, there that's is. the best way to put it. There is hope. <laughs> and, and to anyone listening who may be an up and coming senior Fight for what you want. 
don't settle for anything. You have a dream, chase it. And I think um, it often gets lost, um, especially in the black community, that dreams may not necessarily equate to financial security. That's understandable. But find that happy medium of pursuing your dreams and what you want out of life and also obtaining that financial security. And when I say financial security, I'm not saying a millionaire, a billionaire. I'm saying something where you can pay your bills and have the luxury to go do what you want when you want. So please do not stop trusting your dreams. We need you. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And um, I I wanted to touch on a, a subject that you brought up, uh, generational wealth uh, in the black community. And, you know, I, there's a lot of uh, t- discussion on, you know, buy black, black banks. Um, you know, that's a, a good movement that's been starting up recently. Um, do you feel that, you know, our community can uh, come together and build wealth um, like, you know, the Jewish community and the uh, Asian community uh, in America did um, by coming together? Or do you feel like we're so segmented that it's going to be, you know, a huge challenge to ever do that. I think we have to look back. We, we have to look at our history. Think about integration. Integration was great for us, but it also had adverse effects on us. Prior to integration, we had such thriving black communities. We had our own engineers, our own electricians, our own milkmen. And then when, when integration happened, we started to disseminate out of those, those, uh, black communities and started chasing the white American dream. Right. So by chasing that, it started uh, poverty started to leak into our communities. And you had this broken window theory where if something doesn't look right about it and it's not being fixed, it's going to continue to downgrade and to um, fall deeper into poverty. So we have to look at that and get back to that method of, we kept our own within our community and building that because generational wealth wasn't taught to us. We don't come from money. Let's be realistic about it. We don't come from it and it wasn't taught to us. We don't even know our own history. Um, I had the opportunity. First off, do you gentlemen, have you ever heard of Senator, excuse me, Edward Brooke? I have not. Have you heard of him? Yeah. Really? No, I don't think I have. Same, sounds familiar, though, but I, I can't say off the top of my head I do. He's the first U.S. black senator from Massachusetts. This okay. man integrated the Senate uh, back in the early 1950s, and I had the opportunity of meeting him um, in his old age. The man was 92, sharp as a whistle, knew everything that was going on in politics and the world, and even knew about myself. And that spoke volumes to me because this guy is a fountain of wisdom, information, and historic preference. This is someone who needs to be exposed to the youth so we can get that, um, that fire and that passion that he had during those times into our kids. And I asked him, you know, did you fear, like, were you fearful for your life during those times? He was like, no, not at all. I feared complacency more than death. Mm. I had the responsibility of a community and a people my life was only a, a mere fact. It wasn't anything if my community is not advancing. And that's something that I try to take in for myself and, you know, spread to the masses as well. Like we need to be doing this for more than community. 
um, blacks in general are very um, religious based and very Christian based as, as a whole. And when you look at the Bible, it preaches community and the essence of building up your community. And you need your brother and thy neighbor to progress as a whole. And I think that's something that we need to get back to in totality. Okay. Oh. Yeah, that was that. That was man. I got to debut a new channel for that one because that's how I felt like <laughs> hearing all that. Like you really did just hit it on the head, and wow, you're just a treasure trove of information. And I really, I mean, I feel like through this interview, you guys got to be motivated to really go out and read my worst, my own enemy. Uh, sorry, <laughs> my own worst enemy. A Black Man's American Story by Ishmael Brown. I mean, you've come on here and you've spoken the gospel, really. You, 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 you detailed what we can expect and even detailed your outline on some engaging social topics. So, I mean, it's been a pleasure having you on. I think before we uh, before we say goodbye, you know, we always hit people with the two-piece. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> two, two last questions just to rally everyone to put on perspective so the first one's easy the first one is how can the people reach you and then as a special plug for you tell the people where they can get your book at um i can be reached on ishmaelbrown.com and that's i-s-m-a-e-l brown b-r-o-w-n.com my social media handles uh instagram is ishmael i-s-m-a-e-l underscore brown b-r-o-w-n um, my book can be purchased at ishmaelbrown.com and on Amazon, iBooks, and Kindle. Woo! All right. That's good. That's good. That's good. People go out there, commit to it, read it. Because if it's anything like this interview, I guarantee you're going to leave a satisfied customer. And of course, the last one, no pressure, just the last question, of course. What are some parting words that you can leave to our listeners today? To be good is to be mediocre. To be great is to be complacent. To be unforgettable, that's what gets you in the history books. <gasps> Woo! Woo! I never heard that was real. Yeah, I never heard, you know, a quote harder than that to end the podcast. So <laughs> man. Exactly. I was holding my fist in the air. I was like, I don't even know. <laughs> well, I mean, Ishmael, like we appreciate it. You you definitely educated us. You definitely let us know what to expect. Once again, people, please go out there and support. The book is called My Own Worst Enemy, a Black Man's American Story by Ishmael Brown. Go out there, buy it, read yeah, it, man. learn from it, discuss it. Y'all spent a bunch of money on, on Black Friday on, you know, stuff right. that ain't important, man. <laughs> get, get something to educate yourself, man. Check out what Ishmael's saying. Let's do it, guys. And I appreciate you taking the time to interview me. It's a very humbling experience. and I look forward to the growth of Educated Hustlers and what you guys got. And there you have it, folks. That's Ishmael Brown giving you his black man's American story. Emilio, what you think, man? It was amazing, man. I mean, you know, I think that's a different tone than the interviews we usually have because, you know, on Educate Hustle, we love to pioneer our entrepreneurs and have them break out how they, they became successful and what motivated them. But, you know, Ishmael did that, but he also kind of got to a more serious subject matter about some stuff that isn't always openly discussed. So I think he... 
it was phenomenal. It was interesting. It was great. And I really hope you as listeners enjoyed it because I really think Ishmael dropped some knowledge that everyone, everyone can use. Yeah, man. And um, like you said, it's a lot of subject matter that he covered. And um, he's very well informed about different areas of, of life. So um, I'm excited to, to you know learn more about his book, learn more about him as a as individual and uh hopefully our listeners were sparked uh by his story because we do we do need a lot of uh, a lot more diverse leaders in in the black you know in in the black culture uh to help us you know to help us kind of prosper as as a society so um you know ishmael is one of them and you know, we like to we we we're, we're one of them as well. You know, with the podcast trying to uplift everyone, and uh, I'm I'm excited for 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 this episode for what for what people uh, think about this episode. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And you know, before we get too too serious, let's bring it right back to the highlight, the main event, where y'all really came to hear how you, yes, you can reach. Educate Hustle. Educate Hustle can be reached through a variety of different means on social media. We are on Snapchat as Educated Hustle. That is one word, Educated Hustle. There you post snaps, behind the scene videos, just little things throughout the week to help get you motivated and right. You can also follow us on Instagram at Educated Hustle Podcast. Once again, that is Educated Hustle Podcast. We try to do photos and just little things to let you know about what episodes coming out that week or is out that week or just things that we feel that our community should be informed next we are also on facebook at educated hustle that's two words educated hustle you know you've reached the right place because you'll see that logo that you all know and love and before i begin the rest of the plugin i have to take a step back to do this particular plugin if you can please 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 leave us a review on itunes <sighs> we say it every week we got to say it even more and more and more and more we see y'all leave reviews though we see our number going up but when you leave reviews we go higher in the itunes rankings and once we go higher in those rankings we get more awareness more awareness means more listeners more listeners means more content better episodes and even greater heights than what we soared so far so please start the revolution today by reviewing us on itunes or if you can't review on itunes recommend us to free friends that's one two you already know the last one, so I don't have to say it. <laughs> Anyways, now back to the regularly scheduled plugging. We are also on Twitter at educated underscore hustle. Once again, that is educated underscore hustle. There we do tweets, you know, daily interaction. That's probably one of the quickest ways to hit us up because it goes right to our phone and we'll be there to answer your tweets or queries or even if you tell us a fair episode like that, we'll be right there for it. So. Once again, educated underscore hustle. And last but not least, if you feel like the show has moved you, you want to give that emotional feedback, you want to just say, hey, I, I really enjoyed this episode, or hey, I want to be a guest on this episode, or hey, I want to collab, you can email us at educatedhustlepodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that is educatedhustlepodcast at gmail.com. Join the fun Please do, because we're getting some emails, we're getting some collab requests and some interview requests. And so, you know, we got an exciting end of the year for you guys planned. So why not join the fun and you, too, can be a part of the plan. Woo! 
I'm always, you know, I'm always distracted during that during that scheduling plug-in, but I'm back here. <laughs> but um, yo, lead us out, bro. Man, people, just enjoy where you are in life right now because chances are, you know, things are gonna change. Uh, we we all got back from our Black Friday, our holiday weekend, and we're probably dreading that work coming up, but. You know, enjoy the time you had, enjoy the time you spent with your family, your friends. It's just a precious time, you know, for me. This is going to be a really memorable Thanksgiving because it's going to be my last Thanksgiving not having a child. So, it's always little highlights. And, you know, for some of y'all, that that also might be the same case as well. You don't know yet. (laughs) But (laughs) I just want to say, you know, just go out there, enjoy yourself, live your life, be happy. 2016 is coming to an end. A lot has happened. A lot of deaths. Let's just let's just end it on a strong note. Let's just end it on the right note. And let's move on to 2017 where things are going to be even better. Yes, sir. And as always, you got to stay educated and keep hustling. <laughs>